Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Gilbert Anoka has a long history of success as a mental skills coach with New Zealand's corporate and sporting elite. He is internationally renowned for his 21-year history with the All Blacks, first as their mental skills coach and now as manager. Gilbert is a sought-after speaker, giving insight into the psychology behind individual and team success in world-level sport and how this can be applied to any walk of life. In this episode, he chats about performing under pressure and tools that can assist for business, high-performance teams, culture and leadership. So Gilbert, welcome to the At Source podcast, powered by NatureBee. It is fantastic to have you here today uh, talking with me, and I'm so looking forward to the insights that you'll be able to share. I mean, you are known as a mental skills guru. That's quite a quite a title. And I'm really interested to hear, you know, a little bit about the work that you're doing in both the sporting space and also, you know, I guess in the business world, you've had hands-on experience yourself um, in the business world. And, you know, at Source, we like to get to the source of, of all things to do with health and wellness. So thanks so much for your time today. Karen, thanks very much for inviting me. It's great to have you here. So, Gilbert, let's start with the first kickoff with, you know, your career in the New Zealand sporting industry. Most people would probably know you more in this sphere. I'm just interested in how you got going in the sporting world. You're a very interesting question, really, Karen. It's uh, uh, my life's journey is uh, one that started very early for me. My fa- you know, The name's Inoka is Rarotongan, and my father came over from the islands. He met my mother who was um, a Pākehā lady and she was uh, disadvantaged actually. She was crippled at birth, so she was challenged. But they met, fell in love, had six children in nine years. He went back to the islands, um, as you do. Um, My mother couldn't look after us, so from 18 months old through to uh, 12 years old, I spent that length of time in an orphanage. And I left that orphanage uh, and it was quite interesting because... While I was in there, you, you tended to think the world was made up of normal people and and me and us. I left there at 12, went to Palmerston North to live with my mother, who was then with another man, a stepfather. I had all these visions of this castle yeah. in the cloud. Um, got there. He was an alcoholic. My brothers had been out of the orphanage for about three or four years, so they were enjoying newfound freedom. So I said, I've got to get out of there if I wanted to do anything. So I hopped on a bus, went to Wellington, uh, caught the ferry down to Littleton, went to university actually, uh, to College of Education at the age of 16 and studied for Z, um, studied physical education, became a physical education teacher at Hillmorton High School in Christchurch. Um, I then went on to become head of physical education there. And one day, Wayne Smith and All Black walked through the door. He was selling um, equipment for Canterbury Sport and um, I had pursued my own passion, which was volleyball at that stage, and 
had ended up representing my country. But I then got talking to Wayne, worked with him as an All Black when he finished playing. I worked with him as a when he was a coach, and I've been with him ever since, basically. And mm. that was the start of me. So who would have thought this little boy that thought the world was made up of normal people and him would end up being the longest serving member of the most successful international sporting team of all time. So I learned yes. very early on that your past doesn't have to equal your future. Yes. And um, that's how I got into it. I think you summed it up. I did a bit of reading and you sort of summed it up as passion. I think it was opportunity and networks and connections that it was sort of a synergy of all three things that got you to where you are today. I still find it fascinating just taking you back to your choice to actually pursue PE, physical education, because it was sort of a somewhat out-of-the-box manoeuvre for you, just given your background, your childhood. You have an extremely positive view on your childhood experience. A lot of people would be bitter, you know, and felt like the world owed them a living. You have a very refreshing, mature, I think, perspective, and you've you've always held to that with your story, your personal narrative. And I think you've obviously learned a lot of fantastic things along the way, and it would be easy to kind of ride over those, perhaps, and not really give that the reflection that it deserves. But you are obviously equipped with some incredible skills and tools growing, and it's put you in a position to be able to, you know, teach others, I think, through your own adversities. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, look, you've, you've summed that up pretty well, Kira, naturally. Like, I, I have no bitterness. It was, it is what it is, but you make it, you yourself make it. Um, don't get me wrong, there were, there were lots of insecurities throughout that journey because, you know, there's things that you, you only develop through nourished love from a, from a mm-hmm. parent, and when you miss that, you do miss mm-hmm. a lot of things. And but I kind of, um, you know, in the end, it was all about. Well, my two of my brothers ahead of me had been interested in sport and started to pursue that. So there was an example for me to follow. There was probably not many, but that gave me a doorway to look through. And so that sort of, you know, it's a bit like putting the crampons into the into the snow that got me started but you know you can either be bitter or better I chose to be better and it served me well well I like it and you have answered my question because I was interested in that sort of sports interest that you had and it sounds like you've had a bit of modeling in that space and in some respects that gave you a good positive steer so moving on but I think we should just pay a little homage to your, you know, to your past uh, in order to understand the future and the work that you're doing for people today. What does your work as a mental skills coach mean? Like, what does it entail in sort of simple words? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, like, um, this is my 21st year with the All Blacks, so I've had a long um, history. When I first started, if you'd said that the All Blacks had a mental skills coach, a lot of people would have went, you know, hoo-ha and it was really the ugly duckling of the sports sciences. But if you think about we have technical coaches, you have strength and conditioning coaches, you have nutrition coaches, you have scrum coaches, forwards coaches, back coaches. So why wouldn't the natural extension um, move into the mental skills area? So, you know, a mental skills coach is a person that um, looks at, um, you know, the skills required to perform under pressure um, there's things that happen in the lead up to a game, during a game, after a game, coming down from a game, decompression, and there's skill sets involved in that. 
And um, rather than just letting experience educate us, um, there are some tools and techniques that can help individuals navigate their way through that particular mirage or that, that myriad of things. Mm. And I kind of like the, um, the phrase where it's easy to sweat. You know, a lot of people think that the only time they're doing training is when they are sweating profusely, either in the gym um, or out on the running track. Uh, but nowadays people understand when you're, you're sitting working out how you want to react and respond to certain things that are happening in your environment, it's quality mental work that you're engaging in and, and it's fruitful and it can help sort of give you the, the armoury to, to enable yourself to stay strong when you meet the storms that come when you're playing high-performance sport. Mm, and how much of that work would you say is an individual or collective consciousness? Oh, I think it's um, it's D, all of the above. I think there's times where the individual, is, it's not a menu-driven approach. Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, the interesting thing, um, you know, mental toughness, resilience, coping is a bit like the whole resilience thing is you don't possess or own it. All you can do is exhibit it because it's very fluid. That's why one week in sport you can play an opponent and you can have a wonderful performance. You play the same opponent next week and you can get done like a dog's dinner. So, you know, it's, it's very, very fluid. And so individuals um, respond in different ways. And the art of it all has been able to capture moments that can help individuals to navigate their way through what's happening to them in a given moment of time. That's true. I once heard, just via a very highly rated TED talk on resilience, actually a Cantabrian woman, very interesting piece where she defines, you know, resilience being something that you can only learn or sort of participate in when something happens to you and you learn that over and over and over. And it's only through the repetition of that that you actually learn to be truly resilient. You can have all the theory in the world, but you need to be in it to actually experience it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think like it's a, there are some strategies that you can lean into. You know, I think that's important to know. But I mean, the key thing is, is once you have capability in one situation, I don't mean to say you're immune forever. You know, quite often, nine times out of 10, you can get exposed to the same stimuli and, and still wobble and bend and buckle. And then the 10th time you can break, you know, and in our world, we give people permission to bend, to wobble, to buckle, but what we don't want them is to break. So you've got to be ever vigilant and aware of just how your capability um, for a particular situation is at a given point in time. Something I found really interesting was your performance under pressure project. And we know that, I guess, pressure is just part of our everyday world, right? And it's, it's how we sort of manage it, navigate it. Uh, it's it's a, a dynamic that's not always just present in, say, sporting. It can also be, you know, something as simple as, I don't know, gearing up to land a sales deal or pitching a business idea to a key client. I was just interested in what some of your tips are around performing optimally, you know, at your best when the team's relying on you. Yeah, like I think, um, don't have to look pretty. You know, at times you just got to get the job done. Um, I think there's an understanding that the fans and your family, uh, the spectators, um, a lot of media and that sort of live in a world that's focused on outcome. Um, and what we have done is the warriors, both women and men that I work with, live in process. Right. So once you get that understanding is that the, the natural order of things is that 
that, that people will just want you to win and want you to prevail. But the, the whole notion of, of performing under pressure is all about delivering in critical moments. So you, how to get successful is you win one moment at a time. And um, once you embrace that, this whole performing under pressure becomes, uh, um, you know, a more understandable notion. Yeah. You don't have to win every moment. You just got to win the critical ones. Yeah, you're kind of breaking it down and making it a little bit more bite-sized, aren't you? It's less overwhelming. Do you think um, in reality, uh, just around that performance piece, that everybody needs a little pressure to be able to turn themselves into a diamond? Do you believe in that? Oh, absolutely. You know, like um, one of the big learnings that we've had over the years is that pressure is a privilege. You know, some mm. people go through their life and have no pressure. Some people go through a year and have no pressure. Some people play sport and don't ever ever experience any pressure because they don't push themselves into those places where you have to be tested. So um, once you understand that when you're experiencing pressure, you're in an environment where good things can happen, great things can happen, then what you want to do is you want to pursue those opportunities because you know if you prevail in them, then then greatness awaits. So we want people to face it. We want them to lean into it. We want them to embrace it and then mm. just find a way through it, you know, and that, that's mm. the beauty of it. You know, and I, and I totally understand that. I mean, you're working in a sphere where pressure and performance go hand in hand. But for the obvious, you know, for the day-to-day lay person, you, you know, they may not be as hungry to pursue enough pressure to turn themselves into a diamond or whatever. So I do wonder if, you know, not all of us are motivated to sort of coexist with that fireball, that that pressure point that you're talking about. And how important is that? Does everybody need to have a little bit of that fireball stuff or do you think, you know, we're all different? Oh, look, I think you're talking about what drives people, you know, like if you had a child and um, who was in danger and you had you had a fear of heights, but you had to walk across a plank, you know, separating two buildings. You do it in a heartbeat because the drive is there because you want to protect the child. Yeah. So well, we're, all, we're have, all doing it, you're saying. You're saying that there's well, going to be points yeah. in time where we all do it. Yeah, well, sometimes you have to, but I think you don't all need to. Not everyone's driven. Like I love firsts. I love pioneering. I love doing things that people say can't be achieved. That drives me daily. And so I will sort of venture into any opportunity that gives me that. Other people like comfort, they like cruisy, and, mm. and that's fine. You know, the, the, and that, there's no judgment in that. That's just how different people are built. And I love the vitality that comes from, you know, dancing on, on those stages where, you know, there are, there are opportunities for greatness and there are challenges abound. As a mental skills coach, I was just interested if you've seen a difference in people's, you know, mental or emotional health with the rise of social media. That's an interesting question. Yes, it is. You know, the world is very different. When I started 20-odd years ago with the All Blacks where there was no social media, now, you know, there's not a person that, you know, doesn't have a a profile. And, you know, I think as with most things, um, you know, the, the, the issue comes with how people define themselves and you have this the marketed brand of yourself and you have this real brand you know so sometimes they get confused because people are living in this fictitious world about this this marketed brand and um, and that becomes real problematic for the mental and emotional health of individuals when 
that actually consumes the real self. So uh, we do a kind of a kind of lot of work in terms of just staying true to who you are and understanding who you are. And um, well, he's not a player, especially the younger ones. You know, you've got people in the all black environment who who were born after I started. So you know, I've been there a, a long time, and they just come. And, you know, they're taking photos. I'm used to having an environment that's protected and I kind of like to develop an aura and a mystique so that people don't know what's going on inside our world. Social media does the exact opposite. They want right. to inform everybody about yes. what's going on. So there shall uh, they meet and that causes problems and, um, you know, people get more devoted to their devices than they do to each other and, We've got to mm. create what we call opportunities to disconnect, to connect, so that we actually can put the device down so that people can connect with human beings. And don't get me wrong, I, I think there's a lot of positives in it. But mm. um, left to its own devices, it can be very, very damaging and very, very problematic. And I've certainly seen it crush individuals in, in the world that I operate in. Mm. That's right. So I guess just managing social media with enhanced team and company culture has probably become more of an obvious thing for you in the last, what, decade than, say, 10 years ago? You've sort of alluded to this. I think so. You know, we've, we've always told uh, the men and the women on our management that once you're an all black, you're an all black 24-7. So everything's scrutinised. So, you, you know, you can't go anywhere without You've got CCT caverns in a, in a way, which is, you know, another a different mm. different world. And But you've got the whole notion of um, the social media. You know, people just pick up a phone and it's posted immediately. So the, the, they're subject to a scrutiny that they just never had back in the early days. And uh, But, I mean, you know, like I can sort of remembering talking to, you know, a couple of our guys, you know, and they'd, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, you must get home and close the door and just go, oh, so awesome because you're not out there and getting scrutinised. But remember this individual just said, look, no, it's easy. I go home because the person you see out there is the same person as I am when I go through the door. And when you have that congruence coming together, yeah, yeah. Then, then you've got a person that can navigate anything that comes at them. Yep, I, t I totally get that, what you're saying. And it harkens back to what you said earlier when we first started talking about getting that, I guess, just the authenticity of oneself, actually working on that end to end. And when you've got that piece in order, then you're able to kind of manage, I guess, that external facing piece, which is that sort of face out to the public. But it must be very tiring if you haven't got that sorted and in order to be able to, you know, to be who you are out there and then coming home. And as you say, sort of that's when, when you're not so resilient, you're crumbling into the couch and you're feeling exhausted. Yeah, and you put that on the head and shoulders of a 20-year-old or a 21, 22, 23-year-old mm. that doesn't have the wisdom of that. And, mm. and the world can be very seductive and it seduces them and that's the stardom and all of a sudden, you know, they've got to have good people who are advising them and good people who they can turn to just to see that the decisions they're making are wise ones. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Gilbert, but I would have thought that in, in the environment that we we have at the moment where, you know, mental health, mental clarity is something that we now talk about, the work that you're doing would be, I would have thought, quite relevant and, and very useful. But maybe if I take you back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was probably quite odd, 
right? What what you were doing? Oh, absolutely. You know, like if you if you shared a vulnerability, um, or you uh, weren't sure on um, how you needed to react, a lot of people thought you were weak. Um, a lot of people would have would have uh, closed the any sign of vulnerability that was shown was a sign of weakness. So they were virtually mm. chewed up and spat out. And I've seen some good people not given opportunities because of that perceived weakness. But rather than understanding that vulnerable is the new strong um, and that anyone sharing that is actually looking at a way of strengthening it. And But back in mm. that day when you had the old mindsets, she was a very, very brutal in the space and people had to hide their insecurities, hide their fears and couldn't share mm. any of them for fear of... Um, um, mm. of the outcome being terminal. So it was more like you kind of muscled your way through to become a high-performing team as opposed to sort of having that reflection piece and the vulnerability which you talk about as the sort of the new performance angle. So, I mean, in, in this this new phase that we are in, I think, as a community collectively and the work that you're doing, what do you think are the essentials to create a high-performing team? Yeah, look, I think um, in in its simplicity, I think there are three things that are needed to create a high-performing team. The first one is you need a leader worth following. People will follow your soul before your goal. They always buy into the leader before they buy into the vision. And the goal of leadership is to get people to want to do what must be done. And so that, that, you know, that is a full stop. The leader is the be-all and end-all and they determine a lot of the things. The second thing that's needed is they need work worth doing. So everybody's got to understand that their bit matters and it's got to be meaningful work. And so a good leader will communicate to the people inside the environment about just why what it is that they're doing contributes so powerfully to the outcome mm. of a group. Mm. So That's that collective piece, isn't it, that we, we touched on earlier, is that you've got, you know, individual responsibility within a team, but then you've got that collective responsibility as well. And I, I like that because it means that everything counts. It does. And the third part's you've got to have a culture worth contributing to. So people not only do they belong to a group, but they believe in it because when you believe in it, then you're more likely to give to it rather than just take from it. And uh, I've seen too many environments that have a hand out rather than a hand up um, philosophy. Mm. And the high-performing teams that I work in that really power ahead and create great results are the ones that have no sense of entitlement and it's always putting their hand up to, to help out rather than just the, the, the hand Hand up out. to help out rather than the hand yeah. out. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's just, I guess, you're touching on a bit of humility there. Having a little bit of humility yeah. can mm-hmm. go a long way, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. So uh, we did talk a little bit about this business piece and some of the transferable, I guess, skill sets and thinking that slides between sports performance and business. And a little detail here, a key detail that our listeners may not know is that you were general manager of Harcourts. So over your time there, I guess I'm interested in, do you perceive there to be any differences, say, between coaching and creating high-performance um, sport teams via, say, running a team in a business setting? You know, I get asked that question quite often and, and the parallels are just are just so high. High-performing business teams are no different to high-performing sports teams. Hey, they don't actually come together um, with a with a game day Saturday, but they have lots of occasions where they're putting deals together, they're presenting things, 
But I mean, the principles are the same. There's there's no silver bullets or magic solutions. You know, you in my world, high performers work hard, and elite performers would just work much harder. And mm. They have an invisible standard, which you know they understand that there's no shortcuts, especially when no one's watching, and that's mm. really really mm. important. Um, they understand that you know culture eats strategy for breakfast, so that how people relate to each other and the harmony that exists with them is an, is really really important. So the the principles are just as applicable to business as they are in sport, and those that can understand those um, can really sort of make good headway in both in both endeavours. Mm. And of course, challenging times right now due to the pandemic. It's been a game-changing kind of environment, I guess, for sport and for business. What would you say to anyone out there listening who might be dealing now with, with challenges, either mental, emotional, pressure or stresses of any kind? Yeah, look, it's... Um it's really understanding that they are more prevalent and, you know, the, the principles are, are no different to what, you know, because in our, in the sporting world, in our, in the All Black world, we, we always have a game on Saturday. We don't know what Sunday and Monday is going to be like because that's determined by the results. So we've lived in this environment of uncertainty for some time. So the principles are very similar. Um, you know, develop psychologically safe environments where it's okay to talk about how you feel create windows of opportunity to do that. Um, you can bend, you can buckle, you can wobble, as we talked about before, but don't break. And the key yeah. thing is just don't get stuck. And that's where um, you've got something in your head and you can't get it out of your head. And so we need people to be able to to um, keep themselves moving so that they don't just get stuck where they get these thoughts that consume them. And, yes. and, so, and they're real and... And people just have lots of different strategies that they can use to get themselves and navigate their way through Mm. it. And, of course, it is a more challenging time, isn't it, for many with this pandemic environment, possibly more challenging than even the norm, the norm that we used to know, because we're constantly in a state of flux. And so we would need to be more resilient, really, than ever to change and adaptive and stay positive, right? And that's not easy for all of us, necessarily. No, and and absolutely, you know, and some days we feel positive and we can be on top of things and the next day we can't. So we've got to understand that's just the normal response to this abnormal event that is the pandemic. And, mm. um, you know, just getting yourself through the day sometimes is, is enough of a focus rather than thinking too far ahead. That's right. It's going back to that bite-sized kind of approach. Um, you're obviously a pretty busy guy with, with a ton of projects on the go. Um, so I guess I'm interested just to hear a little bit about how you keep your own mental health in check. Yeah, look, I'm pretty simple, really. Um, you know, I, once you understand that physically tough doesn't mean the same as mentally tough, that, you know, if you want to carry more load, you've got to keep yourself strong. Like, I'm really, I'm really, so I love my exercise. So I find that as a really, really... Um, a good time to think and decompress. Um, I'm, I'm really into prioritising, so I never go to bed without having a really detailed account of what I've got to do tomorrow because that calms the night for me, though I don't have a, a busy uh, mind. Um, okay, so do you write that down? I write that do you, down. Yeah. I'm old-fashioned. I don't use the electronic. I use paper, <laughs> paper and pen. That That's just me. Um, yeah. Well, they say the screen's no good anyway, right, before bed. So if you're on the iPad, that's not going to work, is it? And I sort of schedule what I call emotional recovery activities. So 
uh, windows of time, like during the lockdown where there was no sport and I'm a sportaholic, I, I series chase, series link the chase. And so I'd, yeah. just, I'd just go out of my office and I'd schedule a 30-minute appointment where I'd just watch one of the shows through the ads. It only takes 30 minutes and that would fill my tank up when I could come back and, and do the work. So Ah, like that. So it's like a, like a treat, like a treat, something that you set yourself up with to look forward to. Yeah. So I yeah. found I've either got to still my mind or fill my mind. So mm. I do yoga, I do Bikram yoga, I, I really enjoy that, which stills my mind. Other times um, I film my mind so I like movies and I watch something so I keep myself busy so it doesn't allow my mind just to drift away. So as long mm. as you name it and time it, um, activities that you can use to decompress and to navigate your way through the day, they, they, that's what helps me anyway. It sounds busy, but it also sounds uh, quite organised and quite sort of structured. Yeah, well, structure for me, I think in the land of high performance and the land of capability and everything, structure is king. Um, mm. More important than mindset to me, actually, because, mm. um, you know, you how you structure what you do can impact your mindset, help shift your mindset. So it becomes, for me, it's the superpower. And a lot of people think it's mindset, but I actually think it's more structure. Mm, yeah, interesting. I'm just going to just uh, slight deviation here. I'm just interested, just touching very lightly on nutrition. Do you believe in um, like a recommended natural brain food approach? Yeah, look, I, hey, in the, all, in the all-black environment that I live in, in the high performance environments, we get really, really good advice in this area. So um, you'd actually be crazy not to um, take advice and to pursue this particular avenue. I have mm. a smoothie once a day. Every day I have a smoothie. has all the superfoods in it, the blueberries, the spinach, the kale, the magnesium, um, all those sort of superfoods full of antioxidants and um, you know, the vitamin K, the vitamin E, all those things that boost um, your immune system. So it'll get a very big tick from me um, in terms of, um, you know, pursuing this particular track. Yeah, really interesting. And I think uh, you've shared a little bit, we've just even just lifted the lid a little bit on uh, structure and how important that is for you to, to lead a fulfilled and kind of goal objective kind of life is there anything beyond that that you could share like a mantra that you live by or uh, something that you think's really key to have a really fulfilling happy life yeah look, I, I i don't have one that i live by i'm, I'm old-fashioned um you know i still live that my words my honor and i seal a deal by having a handshake yeah yeah, I saw that. <laughs> they, are, they are two things that are really important to me. I think uh, as I've got older and I've been more experienced, I sort of understanding the notion that you've got to be yourself and we want people to be yourself, but we've got to put the adage to that with skill. We get too many people that um, they say they're being themselves, but they say what they think at the wrong time and in the ah. wrong way. So I think I kind of... You know, as you navigate your way through this world, be yourself with skill. I think is uh, ah, is something. Good. I think that's a, that that is powerful. Yeah, I like that, and it does speak a little bit to sort of having a sense of timing. Yeah, and appropriateness, perhaps, with the way that you sort of manage yourself. Some fantastic talking points in there, Gilbert. Just a quick recap around mental management, performance enhancement, culture. Touched on that 
really interesting piece and leadership. So thank you today. Fantastic to catch up. And I think that your insights are going to be enjoyed by our listeners. Big, big thank you for your time. Thank you, Karen. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes. Please rate, review and subscribe. Check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee. At Source Podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions. Those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk. We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.